is a very simple and yet very profound. I, I do feel like we live in a culture which is, it's like a whirlwind. And it's very difficult for us to distinguish how much we're affected and shaped and squeezed by the culture and the winds of the society in which we live. That's why history is so important. They will look back in 50 years and look back at the era we're living in now and say, why did those Christians miss that? And why did they get so off on this? And today's theme is about uh, loving. We're in the series on growing up in particular, or kind of within that, a sub-series of living a life free from distractions. And we're moving through Corinthians. And today, really, I'm going to uh, touch the theme of chapters 8 through 10, which is going to be found in two verses, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. And it's about loving. And, and uh, let's read it for a moment together. And my prayer is going to be, oh God, just enable us to just to receive from you this morning. And it's so difficult to hear that which is so simple because of the world in which we live in. And even the way we've been shaped spiritually. As someone was telling me, first service, we were talking about it. It's almost like a deliverance. It's almost like coming out of a cult. It's almost like this subculture, even of evangelicalism or Christianity, as many of us have been raised in it. And to come out of it and, and, and to grasp what I'm going to talk about today about loving and choosing love, not knowledge or morality or your own personal freedom, but choosing love as the highest goal of life because God is love and he who lives in God lives in love, 1 John 4, 7. And Paul's taking that biblical truth of who God is and he's applying it into a church that's divided. Divided because of they come from different cultures, different backgrounds, and they're literally divided over here, the issue of food sacrifice to idols. And many Gentiles who'd come to Christ in the Corinthian church uh, came out of idol worship, where they would cook food and sacrifice it to idols. Many Jews in the church came out of a culture that was not an issue for them. They easily ate food that was sacrificed to idols, didn't bother them. And so the Jews looked down, Jewish Christians looked down on the Gentile Christians for being so hung up about this food sacrifice to idols because they said, we're free in Christ. Why, why, why is it messing you up in your spiritual life? And then the Gentile Christians who had a problem because these Jewish Christians were eating this food sacrifice to idol and they were judging them as, as weak Christians and they were criticizing them and having attitudes and the church was divided. And, and uh, again, the, they each felt like they knew better. And so Paul takes chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, and he goes after this issue. But there's a great teaching in here about the heart and passion of God for the church and for us. Now, their issue was food sacrifice to idols. Ours is different. I'll mention a few later as we move on. But Paul writes in the first two verses, really the thesis of, of he's going to unpack it. And here's what he writes, verse 1. Now about food sacrifice to idols, because that was the conflict. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. I'll say it again. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And the man who thinks he knows anything, something, does not yet know as he ought to know. Uh, Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he's an NYU professor. And, and, and he, he, he has this term he coined called information action ratio and that as societies changed uh, with media in particular TV we're exposed to so much information and there's never been a people exposed to so much information like us today but 
we can't possibly handle all that's coming into us. So he says there is now a low action, a low information action ratio, LIAC. We can't possibly act on what we hear, whether it's crises in uh, Rwanda or Bosnia or around the world, all these needs. We can't possibly absor absorb it all. So we, we, we're so used to taking information and we don't do anything about it. We have to or else we'd explode. We're bombarded day and night. And the problem is, and TV has really, really caused that more than anything else. And the problem is now, in, 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 as Christians, we, we receive so much biblical information that we can't possibly act on it all. And so we have what's called a low information action ratio. Now, God's intention is that we would act on what we hear. The Corinthians had a lot of information. They knew a lot. They knew the Bible. They knew the gifts. They knew about power. They knew how the Spirit worked. They knew a lot. But uh, they weren't doing a lot with it, and the church was divided. So what Paul's going to do here, I'm going to make one point. Put the overhead up. I'm going to make one point he's going to make here today. I'm going to kind of twist it around, look at it from different ways. And his basic point is this. Go down. Choose love, not knowledge. Not that he's against knowledge by any means. Paul was a Ph.D. We call him a Harvard professor, Nobel Prize winner of his day. The guy was brilliant. And he was by no means against learning. But... He understood the choices that had to be made. And he goes, you, as you think about your life, how you're going to live it, you've got career goals, you've got career aspirations to learn more things. Some of you, many of you are going to school. Uh, you'll be going to seminars, getting books the rest of your life. And he goes, that's okay. But that is the aim of that knowledge is so that you will love better. So your simplicity of your life, being centered on God, is to live a life of love as Christ has loved us. Because God is love. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of knowledge. It's not getting greater and greater wisdom. But it is learning to live in this world, this kingdom, which is love because God himself is love. Now, the Corinthians had a very, very hard time receiving this. I believe it's very hard for us to receive it today for a variety of reasons. I'm going to read you a story about a guy named Mike Mason. And... Um, his story is, I think, a lot like ours in this room. Uh, Mike Mason uh, accepted Christ many years ago. And uh, he writes about 20 years ago, uh, he was with his parents in the airport. And they were saying goodbye. And he couldn't wait till they left. Uh, their relationship was strained. And he says, we were sitting at this table. And he goes, and I was basically girl watching. And I was counting the seconds until I would be able to leave their company. He says, I was a classic picture of modern man. I was plagued by distractions, addictions, obsessions. I was never at home in my own skin, never truly connecting with other people. I was never one with present reality, and I was anxiously awaiting my plane that would basically take me nowhere. And so he says he was at a, a Christian service, and there was an altar call to accept Christ. And you know how Billy Graham has that song that he sings at all of his crusades, Just As I Am? Da, 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 just as I am coming. And all these people are coming forward to accept Christ. And he realized, he said, a, a light dawned on me that, I'm going to quote, while I had given my life to Jesus a number of years ago, I knew that I had never given my life to people. Something in me had always held back, guarded. I was insecure, untrusting. Whereas Jesus seemed approachable because of his unconditional love, people were a mixed bad. So he says, that day, I answered the altar call. Along with all those who gave, came to give their lives to Jesus, I rose and gave myself to the people. 
I actually stood up and said, I love you all and want to marry you. <laughs> what a nut. All right. I had been running from people all of my life, and it was time to turn around and walk the other way. Having invited Jesus into my heart, it was now time to invite people in. For the conviction had overwhelmed me that this is what it really means to be a Christian. For better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, to be at home with people. Now, I don't know about you, but I relate to that. And we live in a culture which is fiercely individualistic. And we live out our, our, our lives very much about how am I doing. And the Corinthians were the same way. And so Paul says in verse 2, you don't get it. You don't get it, guys. Knowledge just puffs up. Man, it, just, it just lifts you up, makes you proud. And the more knowledge you get, you know what? The further you're getting from the heart of God for your life. But he goes, but love builds up. And in fact, Paul, and Paul says, if you think you know anything, you don't get it. Now, many of us have not had a lot of formal education. And down deep, you feel second class. Because you, maybe you didn't finish high school or college or grad school. You didn't get that. You didn't become a, uh, a journeyman, an electrician, or a carpenter, or whatever. And so you feel second class. And you know what? You're like the Corinthians, just on the other side. Some of us do have degrees, and, and some of you have master's degrees. A few, we have a few doctors here, and lawyers, and PhD folks. And, and our culture right now is driven by regents' exams, New York State regents. Because you have kids in junior high and high school, you know the, the fervor and the craziness to it's get more knowledge and get it into your kids and take extra courses. And some of you come from cultures which, if you don't have a degree, a graduate degree, there's something wrong with you. You have failed. And you know the pressure of that. And Paul says, that was going on in Corinth. Get more spiritual knowledge. Go to another conference. Get hands laid on you. Get another Bible course. Something. Get more and more this secret wisdom from God. And what happened, it kept dividing them from people and, and producing arrogance and superiority and inferiority. Think of how much money and time and energy you have invested in your life to learn more. Just think about it. Many of us have invested 15, 20, 22 years of our lives, tens of thousands of dollars to grow in knowledge. It's not a bad thing, but let me ask you, how much time, energy, and money have you invested to grow in your ability to love others? And what Paul says here, knowledge just puffs up. Love builds up. Honest, my first 15 years of my Christian life, no one ever challenged me this way. I never thought about it. It was never in my agenda. Verse 2, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It was just grow more, learn more, get more books. And I was, just, I was accumulating information, not for the sake necessarily of loving people more and being more humble and gentle and servant. I, was, I wanted to learn more so I really could be somebody and find my value and worth in what I know and not loving people. What's the success of a Christian life? Paul says it's loving not in everything else, not in judging, making classes. So let me ask you this question here. How much do you know? Paul says, if you think you know, you don't know much. God's ways are higher than our ways. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Even if you are an expert in your field, in light of what's out there, you know so little. He says, a wise person knows they don't know much. Verse 2, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. And Paul knows this, that if you think you know a lot, the sad thing is God's going to have to bring you down someday. It may not even be on earth, but God will bring you down. Isaiah says, God will, every high exalted thing God will humble. And uh, so Paul says it's really sad. 
So the sad thing is many of us choose not just knowledge over love, many of us choose morality over love. We look at the way people behave, and if, we don't, if it doesn't fit the mustard for us, we basically write them off. That's why some of the most unloving people are moral people, religious people, people, Christian people. And sometimes the church is the least loving place on earth. We say, you know, he's a thief. He's a swindler, unwed mom, had three abortions, divorced four times, or whatever. We go through the list, and we say, you know what? I don't have to love them. Look at the choices they've made with their life. And so now, instead of choosing love, we choose morality. Our, whatever we decide is the moral standard. In fact, uh, the Corinthians, go to verse 9 of chapter 8 for a minute. Their problem was they were so into their freedom in Christ. And, you know, we preach grace at New Life. And we believe in grace. I, 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 the only thing I know is going to make you a loving individual is, is being invaded by the love of God for you and the, God's grace overwhelming you, which will cause you to love others. But the Corinthians knew grace. They, they knew that they stood before God not based on performance, but based on the work of Christ. And it was his bloodshed that enabled them to stand before a holy God as sons and daughters. They were excited. They were free. They had the spirit. Satan was defeated. They could do anything in life. And they exalted in this freedom they had. The problem was they didn't really care about other people's struggles in the process. They were going to live out their freedom in Christ. And so the people who felt free eating food sacrificed to idols, hey, you got a problem? Hey, that's your problem. Because the Bible doesn't speak about, is it right or wrong to eat food sacrificed to idols? Is it right or wrong to have a drink? Is it right or wrong to go dancing? I'll mention that in just a moment. And so look at verse 9. Paul says this, you arrogant people, be careful, verse 9, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Hear that? Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall to sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. The problem was for, for the, some of these mature believers who were into knowledge and wisdom and all they had in Christ, saying, you know what? You guys come out of idolatry. You're free in Christ. That It's only food. It goes in and goes out. Come on over here. Eat the food sacrificed to idols. It's not a big deal. You're free in Christ. And they would eat it. And the problem was it would mess them up. But they were not sensitive to the vulnerability and weakness of those who were coming out of that. They didn't, come, they didn't want to be bothered finding out on the inside about their lives and where they came from and their weaknesses. So they pushed these weaker brothers to eat the food. And you know what happened? It messed them up spiritually. And Paul says, you're so excited about your freedom to do whatever you want, your extreme individuality, you're damaging people. Let me tell you something he says. I love what he says in verse 11. You're destroying that brother for your, quote, knowledge. It's like this. I, you know, I grew up in a family where we had wine virtually every meal. It was part of my culture when I grew up. I became a Christian. Alcoholism was not an issue in my family. We had other issues. But I remember becoming a Christian, and you know, I was not raised in an you know, evangelical church setting. And, and I remember you know, you know, having a glass of wine or beer or something at a meal, and all of a sudden, people freaking out. And you know, having tremendous problems. And I was like, what's the problem? And he's like, this, this is a sin. I'm like, it's a sin. And again, for some, it was coming out of alcoholism, which is totally legitimate. And I did have to grow up that it wasn't just about my freedom, but with certain people 
coming out. It's such a temptation. It's such a struggle that for its best, Paul says, don't do it. With them, at least, because of their background, their vulnerability to it. Now, the Bible has a lot of black and white, a lot of clear things. Do I steal? No. Do I cheat on test? This is not a gray area. No. Do I, do I judge and criticize and, and kill people with my words? No, the Bible's very clear on many things. But there are things that the Bible's not clear on on purpose. The Bible's a timeless book, and it's written to, to span all the centuries of human histories and all the cultures from tribes to urban settings like New York, from all the, all the seven continents. And so there's a lot of freedom here in this thing, and a lot of what's called gray issues like food sacrifice to idols. And, and eat, it's going to be different in different cultures and different settings with different people. And so, and so Paul's passion, he's saying, listen, guys, choose love, not knowledge. It's not about the fact that you're free in Christ. The overall, in, overall goal of your life is to love people. That is success for you. That is the goal at the end of your life. is not whether you made $3 million, whether you got to the top of your career, whether you wrote 10 books, whether you were successful. The issue is, did you love? And that will be the evaluation. That is the goal. Friends, that'll so simplify your life if you'll just hear this. When you wake up and go to work tomorrow and you've got a lot to do, you say, my goal today is to love people well. Not to be a doormat, but to love them well. That is my, to be present, to be there, and one by one, those who come my path, to love them. If you will keep that before you, Paul says, that is to be the pursuit of people who've grown up in God. Now, what does it mean for us today? Here's some gray issues, all right? To choose love and not personal freedom or knowledge or morality. Let's take um, movies and scenes, let's take R-rated movies that may be violent or, or sexual scenes. Some of us, you've got to ask yourself, how am I impacted spiritually? And then how am I impacted maybe the people I'm with? So, for example, some of us come from alcoholic backgrounds, and so to be around liquor, not a good, we can't even go near it. Okay, and we, we understand our weaknesses, but we understand how it affects other people. Let's take, for example, these R-rated movies, some sex scenes. Some of us come from backgrounds of great violence uh, or a lot of sexual promiscuity. And now as we try to walk out purity and healthy relations with the opposite sex, for us to watch certain scenes, even if they're not explicit, send us on a downward spiral. We have to know that about ourselves. But loving means I care enough to know that I've got to find out how does it affect the brother I'm with. And if it's a problem, you know what? We're going to watch Barney, all right? Because I love them, and I don't want to do anything to cause them to stumble. I want, I want to serve them. Even though I'm free, I can watch it, but I do care about them. Let's take sexual jokes and innuendos. Some of us just so flippantly throw them out. There are folks who have been through abuse and great pain in their sexuality. Loving means I'm actually sensitive at what's going on in their lives and what I say and the kind of jokes I, I use. Let's take tattoos and body piercing. All right, now. Let's lift up. Let's look at those belly buttons right now. From tongues to ears, to eyebrows. I mean, it's, it's navels, thank you. And, you know, it's a gray area. Do I, well, is it absolutely everybody all the time? No. I've got to ask, how is it affecting me spiritually and other people? But it's one of those areas which I, I can't pull out a verse for you. But for Paul, if you look at chapter 10, verse 30 and 31, Paul has great respect for individuality. Many of us like to mass-produce Christians. 
If we can just make everybody like me, this will be a great place. You ever feel like Thinks like me, feels like me, has gifts like me. Paul says, listen, because they didn't agree with Paul here either. Paul's saying, in verse 30 of chapter 10, if I can take part in a meal of thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? You can thank God for it, God bless you, Paul says. And then verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I'm just looking for the glory of God. Going for a walk. It doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you don't do anything that's not in the Bible. You know, it, no, it means I, whatever I do, I do for the glory of God. Was eating a good meal, taking a nap, playing baseball, okay, reading Time magazine. Whatever I do, I do for the glory of God. That's my life. And so Paul says, do as you please, but live for the glory of God and give thanks. Let's take appropriate clothing. What's appropriate? In clothing. Now, uh, obviously, less is better out there right now, especially for ladies. And I think the question is, well, I, I, I want to be sensitive to where are the men around me. And I do care about how it does affect them. And men are visually connected, get excited just sexually by visual. That means I, I want to take that into account as a woman. That, that's, a valid, that's a loving thing to do. Let's take kissing and touching. I know, whoa, whoa, I know. But I've got to ask myself the question. Is this loving? Is this for the glory of God? Can I give God thanks in this? If you can't, Paul says, if the principle is, to just that, that, that's your line for you and the other person. How about going to Atlantic City? I got my tickets for tomorrow. I'm only kidding. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't pick out a verse about Atlantic City. But I got to ask myself, you know, how does it fit in with my, how does it affect my walk and all that. How about soap operas and romance novels and telenovelas, you know, it's, and how it affects the way you look at relationships. Some of us, you know, we read romance novels and look at certain films about romance, and we, then we go to our spouse, and we're so angry at our spouse because they're not like, ah, you know, you know and, and you know, for you, it's not healthy, you know, and, and uh, you know, you, you, you're going through, looking at these pictures of Sports Illustrated, whatever it might be for you, does not help you in loving other people. So you know what? So for you, it's not, you can't do it. Because you know your weakness. And, I guess, all right, let's move on. How about music? Whoa, I mean, you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, they were talking about years earlier, you know what the big debate in churches used to be like 30 years ago? Choruses. Choruses, like guitars and like having a band. Like that was considered like carnal. I mean, you're saying, oh my God, that's a problem. I mean, if you didn't do hymns, it was considered you were a non-theological wimpy church. Because your words were, I love you, Jesus, you know, very, considered la-di-da. That was the debate. Now, what kind of music's acceptable? Uh, rock? Hard rock? Heavy metal? 106.7 FM? You know? <laughs> is rap okay? Well, again, the point is, you're for Paul, is, is salsa, merengue? You know? All right, I'll stop. Where, you know, but the point is, you, you can't say this is right. I mean, there's diversity there, and, and there are Christian heavy metal bands and rock bands. Where's music going to be 30 years from now? I can assure you, it's not, it's not going to be where it is today. That, that's, that's a given. You can look at history, you know that. But the point is, I don't make judgments. My goal is to love and bring people to Jesus, not set people in a straitjacket. How about clubbing, dancing, you know, and, and ballroom, swing, tango, salsa, you name it. Is square dancing okay? I mean, I, you know, again, it's great. Again, how about affecting other people. How about parenting? It used to be, you know, I remember, you know, homeschooling. If you weren't homeschooling your kids, something was wrong with you, you know, and, or, or if you didn't send your kids to public school, something was wrong with you, to be salt and light. And, and, I, and I remember going in, in I was, when I was pastoring the Spanish congregation, 
uh, you know, the parents would have their kids out at all the meetings. It was very common, you know, until 11 o'clock at night on school nights, the kids would take a nap, bring them. It was beautiful. But you know what? It clashed with a lot of English-speaking parents. Kids in bed 8.30, you know, the kid's going to be a crank. You know, the Spanish are bad parents, and the Spanish saying, oh, these Americans are hung up. You know, it was just, it was so interesting. But it became very divisive over something as simple as parenting and how late your kids go to bed versus saying, I respect diversity and differences. And, and I can go on, you know, how about other streams of Christianity? You know, oh, you got Baptists and Episcopals and Roman Catholics and Coptics and Greek Orthodox and Pentecostals and Presbyterian. I mean, we say, oh, you know, they don't do it like we do it. They're ignorant. And, and they, they should know better. And we write them off. I mean, they should be at new life. And it's very subtle, but we choose knowledge over loving. And so we actually don't treat them the same because they don't have it like, like we do on the inside. How about politics? I mean, come on. I remember, this is, uh, I remember saying to somebody in my earlier days, you're a Republican? And you're a Christian? And then I had other Christians say to me, you're a Democrat? And you're a Christian? And, and really, we write people off based on politics. And, that, and you know, the winds flow from generation to generation. And um, anyway, what can happen is we can put people in straitjackets like crazy. Now, of course, you can say, well, you know, verse 13, Paul says, if what I eat causes my brother to sin, I won't eat. Well, it's like someone saying, okay, Pete, I'm offended by you watching the Knicks in the afternoon on Sunday. All right, so I won't watch the Knicks on Sunday afternoon. They said, Pete, I'm offended by the fact that you drove your car on Sunday afternoon. All right, I won't drive my car. Pete, I'm offended that you went shopping. I won't go shopping. You know, before you know it, your whole life is a straitjacket, all right? You can't do it. You can't move without someone being offended. Now, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's talking about special cases where I recognize that my brother or sister is vulnerable in this area. And out of love, I'm actually thinking I care about others. And to wound them is to wound Christ. It's not just me and Jesus. Paul's saying, grow up. It does matter about your brother for whom Christ died. And for you to be so flippant because you're free in Jesus, he says, is not loving at all. But to, but to wrestle and think is the call. Now, don't assume, Paul's saying, that you're God. All right? And you, you know what's going on on the inside of people. You know, we, like Chuck Swindoll tells a story about this guy used to always fall asleep in the third row. Now, I know some of you fall asleep. I don't mind. Most of you are sitting in the balcony anyway. I can't see you. But Swindoll got very offended. So he said, I've got to go talk to this guy. So he goes up to the guy at the church. He falls asleep again. And he said, you know, how you doing? Got, you know, what's going on? How you feeling? You know? and, and he's really inside angry about the whole thing. Feels very disrespected. And this guy tells him the story about the fact that, you know, he's, he's in the last stages of cancer. He's on his very heavy medication. But he goes, I, I, I love God, and I just, I want to be among God's people in worship every week. So I'm here, and, you know, Pastor Swindoll, I hope that's not offensive, but sometimes my eyes close. It looks like I'm falling asleep, but I'm really, I'm listening. But I just want to stay awake. Even for half of it, it's a blessing. And I mean, he was devastated, you know. And, uh, you know, some people can't sit. Sometimes some people in the middle of sermons get up and go sit in the back. And you're saying, what a jerk. Sit down, will you, man? Just get a life. You know, can't just sit for 30 minutes. And, but, you know, I know we got one or two that have very bad backs. You know, it's very painful to sit. 
for a long period of time. And they're just, but you know, you've already made a judgment. You've already knocked them off the face of the earth. I said, I don't love them anymore. They messed up my worship, you know. <laughs> but Paul's point is you don't know all the facts about people. You don't, you don't know their motives. And in fact, he says, your perspective is blurry because of all your junk. And you don't have the big picture. And you know what's so funny? Paul's saying, you're in your own stage of growth and changes. So, you know, you judge them a certain way year number one, but now you've changed, and now that's not okay year number three. Then you change again, and it's year number five. It is okay. And so you're like a yo-yo. People don't know what they're going to get from you. Love, hate, bitterness, disgust, because your journey's up and down and changing. Paul says, Let, you want people to be, you want people on a string, you make them puppets. Let them go, and they can be human beings. God's not mass-producing assembly line church. It's full of tremendous diversity. And uh, the quality of your spiritual life, Paul says, is reflected in your relationships. You've got to hear this. The quality of your walk with God right now is no better than the quality of your human relationships with people. Ah, oh, no, no, it is. No, it's not. Do you love God? Yeah, I do. Well, look at the person next to you first. And you'll know if you love God or not. That's what Paul's saying here. Do you love God? Look around you. I don't even care about that idiot. Paul says, and Paul's saying, that's your love for God. It's been very helpful to think of the person that you can't stand the most. And God makes sure we always have one or two of them always in our lives. I believe God sends them Federal Express. Because we need them. Do you know we need them? To grow in Christ. We, we, need, we, we desperately need them. So that we'll go back into ourselves and repent for our judgmentalism and criticalness and, and receive grace for ourselves and then give grace to them. All right, now, let me go down here. And I want to close with this. Three barriers. I, you know, I, thank you. No, 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 don't put them all up yet. They'll cheat. Three great obstacles. The first, go down now, Lena, ready, is busyness. Here's the problem with loving. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to love. And we don't have that kind of time. It, it's, a, it's a tremendous problem. That's why, really, most people who are in leadership, including in churches, corporations, businesses, are the least loving people you will meet. Because we're very busy. We've got a lot to do, a lot to get done. We don't have time to love people. And those of you in midlife, you know, with kids and parents who are sick and jobs and second jobs, who's got time to love people? You know, we're multitasking all the time. You know what multitasking is? I'm on the phone loving you on the phone. But I'm also, you know, cooking, checking the laundry, listening to 1010 News about the traffic, and feeding my cat. And so you know what? You're getting about one-tenth of my attention. And I'm not loving you. I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it all in. And... Everybody's short on time. I mean, we, we live longer than ever before, and we sleep less than any generation in history. I mean, it's ironic. And, you know, if you had 25 hours in a day, then would you love better? You wouldn't be so rushed? No. Let's say we put 50 hours in your day. You have 50 hours a day, not 24. Would you love better? Probably not. How about 75? No, because you know what? You would fill that time up with tasks that you have to get done. You'd have so much to do, you'd be rushing through the day, and you'd run past people. I know, because you know what? I, I'm, I'm a victim. I'm part of the culture. I'm in it just like you are. And so that's why, I mean, so many articles have been written about 
the American church is marked by individualism, not community, because no one has time for community anymore. It's too time. We don't have time for our spouses if we're married or our kids, let alone anybody else. And so what happens is, I like what one author wrote, he said, American Christianity is best suited for individualism because it takes too much energy to love other people. We don't have the time or energy for it, so we just basically get molded by the culture, and so loving is not our goal anymore. You know what it is? Let me go to church, learn some things, feel good about myself, walk on my walk with God. It's not about learning to love. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't wake up and say, tomorrow morning I'm going to work. God, help me love the people I'm with. Yesterday, just a little, I mean, I'm working through this myself. And I, I, I had really, my, my, my kids were away, my wife was, was shopping with one of the children. I had like, you know, six hours to myself. I had a list of so many things I wanted to get done, you know. Oh, God, I got free time, you know. But, you know, I would have needed a hundred hours to get in what I had six for. I had to work. Was I busy? Well, no, I was about to make myself busy, you know. And I, I, I had to work so hard at just doing one or two things and not feeling like I failed. But to, to actually love and be present with the people I was interacting with, with myself along the way. But it was like, I'm telling you, it's like coming out of a cult. It's like coming out of a subculture of America, which is so rushed and busy. And I'm you got to hear this. You can't love and be in a rush. People don't work that way. I know, I've tried. It doesn't work. Let's go on number two. The second is forgetfulness. I know the second reason I don't, I think many of us don't love well, is because we forget that that's what the Christian life's about. We just forget. We get busy and we forget. And we start thinking the Christian life is about gifts and ministry and teaching and all. And we just keep thinking of all these external things because loving is too hard. And, and uh, that we forget that 1 Corinthians 13.1 is Paul says, if you have everything, gifts and prophecy and great church, it doesn't mean anything if you don't have love. It's meaningless. At the end of your life, friends, you may have made a million, $200 million. You've been very successful by the world's eyes. You can be well known, world famous. But you know what Paul says? Your life was worth zero if you didn't love. And as a Christian, no matter what leadership you may take in a church, no matter how many people you lead, teach, influence, he says, if you haven't loved, it's worth nothing. Corinthians, he says, grow up. I believe he says to me, to you, grow up, friends. Aim at love. And it means don't forget, this is it. There is no, other, everything flows out of this. And it's not about proving your worth by what you accomplish and, and you do. And, and I know for me to go into staff meetings, and as new life has grown, there's a lot more stuff flying around. And I have to work so hard at going to a staff meeting and saying, my goal at this meeting on Wednesday, 11 o'clock, is not to get through all this business. Because that's my tendency. It's like it's in my DNA. My goal here is to love these people. It's not what we do, but how we do it. And we have tried to make this transition as a church. It's not what we do, it's how we do it. It's are we loving in the process. If we're not, let's not even do it. But I understand how it's like, it's like a wrenching turn because nothing has prepared me or us for that kind of a filter through which to look at life but if you get it in your if you remember it it'll simplify your life because you know what you can't do a hundred things it's just not possible and to love you just can't do it all right let me go down one more and i'll call this oh yeah one last thing about this yeah well thank you thank you very good you know Malcolm Muggeridge was a British author, he's dead now, but he, he wrote a book 
defending Mother Teresa, because she, she was greatly criticized, believe it or not, because they said, ah, what she's doing with these lepers in India, it's, it's like a drop in a bucket, it's not making a difference at all, and she should have began this big organization, da 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 and, you know, packaged it. And he wrote this book, and here's what he said, he says, he says, statistically speaking, it's, she is achieving little, or even negligible, but then Christianity is not a statistical view of life. That there would be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than all the 99 just is not statistical. You've got to hear this. Loving doesn't work if you're going to make it a statistical. Measure it and statistically look at your life. It doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of statistics. And I was reading about how America has affected the church in Russia. They sent a lot of money over to Russia. And now these Russian churches feel pressure to get numbers into church so they can send a report back to America that want to see the numbers and then they'll send more money. If they don't see the numbers, they're not going to send more money. Do you realize the statistics, the issue is not love people, the issue is produce. It's in you, it's in me. God says, grow up. The call is not just accumulating knowledge. Yes, as it serves you to love people. The great winner in our midst here, success friends for us as a church, is not to be big, not to be dynamic worship. These are all good things. It's to be known as a church that loves people. All right, last thing is this. Go down. This really is my favorite because this is a challenge. I think the great obstacle number three is you don't, we don't love ourselves well, many of us. Now, I'm not talking about being an egomaniac, but I'm talking about loving the self, which is what, what you love other people with. Remember the Bible says, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. What that implies is that you will only love other people to the extent that you love yourself in a healthy way. You can't give me yourself if you don't know what your, who yourself is. In other words, if Jesus could have said it this way, you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the way it's going to work out. You hate yourself, it's going to come out with your neighbors. So you can't treat others any better than you treat yourself. You may try, but it doesn't work. So if you're not gentle with yourself, you're most probably not gentle with other people. If you are not generous with yourself and gracious toward yourself and giving grace to yourself, you're probably not generous and gracious to other people. If you're always feeling guilty and condemning yourself, most probably you're condemning and critical of other people as well. We just project our self-hate to other people and all of our stuff. And, and that's why we want to love the whole world, but many of us can't even start with ourselves. So, hear this. The obstacle is we don't love ourselves well, but loving ourselves is hard work, because you know what? That means I have to take care of this person who's got great limitations, sinful parts of myself. I have to reflect, become aware of all this stuff, of who I am and how I got to be where I am, and my weaknesses, and then I give people the self of who I really am. Hear this. Attempting to give a self to somebody else, and you don't even know who you are, you don't feel, is like giving somebody a gift in a box, but you don't even know what's in the box. You just hope it turns out okay. Let me ask you this question. On the inside, are you warm? On the inside of yourself right now, are you warm and full and thankful? Or on the inside, are you tense, angry, and numb? 
What's going on right now on the inside? Now, Jesus prayed that, he said, I pray that the full measure of my joy might be in you. It was always intended that his joy would be in us. We'd live life so full out of which we would love other people. The problem is for many of us, because of family of origin stuff, culture, we have self-hate, you're a bum, you're no good, and you know what? We don't love other people because we can't even get past first base. The most loving thing some of you can do today is to take care of yourself. So you have something to give other people. Some of you are saying, I'm beat, I'm exhausted, I'm beat, I'm on. You're right. And it's true, you're good for nothing. You will love your neighbor as yourself. But it's your responsibility to take care of yourself and what that's going to mean for you. Not just for yourself in a narcissistic way, so that you can love other people and you've got something to give. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, let me, let me stop here. So, some of us, you know, William, why don't you get ready to come on forward. I do think for some of us in this room, it's like a Copernican revolution. You gave your life to Jesus X number of years ago. It's time for you to give yourself to love other people. I know. I've been hurt, Pete. I went down that road. I made myself vulnerable. I disclosed myself, and they stepped on me. And I'm not going to do it again. So I'm here. I'm at New Life. I got my walls up. I even go to cell group. But I'm not going to let them in too much. Listen. Accept people as you accepted Christ. Hear this. The goal, the aim of life is to choose love. It's a choice. You know, I, I, I've preached on love before. I understand so little about love. I have such a long way to go about love. If you make your life goal to love people, it will break you. You know that? Because you realize, oh, man, I don't love well at all. It breaks you, and it makes you dependent on Jesus' grace for yourself, and it calls you to be such a gentle person because you realize, I don't love well, but I do want to grow in that because there's nothing more important in the world than that. And what a gift if you come from one culture to learn to love somebody from a totally different culture. What a great gift. That's why New Life is such a wonderful place to be. All right. I asked William to, to, to lead us in this song that he loves, and he shared it at a prayer meeting last Tuesday night, and I, I was so moved by it. And I, I said, William, just, just share about, you know, why this song is meaningful to you, and, and then we're going to sing it together, and then and we'll close. All right, so William, why don't you share that, and then we'll... Introduced me already. My name is William, and... Uh... I'm very nervous again, just like in first service. And someone told me that's God shaking the truth out of me. So <clears throat> I am one of those people Pete was, uh, or I was, one of these people Pete was talking about. I hated myself through my road of using drugs for 25 or some odd years. Um, you don't love yourself if you do those kind of things to yourself. Abuse your body, abuse yourself, hurt the people that you say you love to at least. And I did this day in and day out for many, many years. In that process, you know, I married another addict. And uh, we both went our separate roads. I don't want to call her my ex-wife because I don't like those words, but she's the mother of my son. And uh, she unfortunately got, she's sick with the AIDS virus, which has now turned into AIDS, which also um, she has one of the worst possible diagnoses you can get when you have AIDS, and it's called PML. In a quick matter of time, she lost the use of her hands, and, and she's an artist, and uh, she lost the use of her hands. She's in a wheelchair, and uh, I had to make a decision, me, last year, the person who didn't even love himself.
last year to put her in this place called Rivington House. A lot of people who are very sick there. And uh, you know what? When I came here, I didn't love myself. And people in this church and in the 12-step programs, you know, because that's where my addiction landed me up. I started going to the meetings, and they told me, let us love you till you learn how to love yourself. And these people who had been in jail, crooks, thieves, and hookers, they taught me what my family didn't teach me, how to love myself. And then you guys, when I came here to this church, through Pastor Pete's sermons and in my cell group and other people who have loved me, because people would say, William, we love you. I still couldn't believe it. We love the way you do worship. I, I was like, you don't, know, you don't know what I'm really all about. You know, and finally it sunk in. And I started to love myself, and I was able to love others. And then, right around Christmas Eve, when my, my ex-wife was going to spend the day alone with the virus, she's from Spain, and uh, God just talked to me. He said, William, nobody facing that kind of sickness should be alone on Christmas. And even though she's had her difficulties with my family, we spent Christmas Eve together, and uh, the next day she got really sick. And uh, so we put her in this place, Rivington House, and I, my thinking was, leave her there, let the doctors take care of her. But God kept pursuing me. No, William, I want you to be there. And I also work in a detox where I'm faced with like broken people, and he wants me there too. And there's people who ask me, you're four years clean now, William, why do you go to those meetings? And because God wants me there. He's positioned me in all the right places where I can reach all of the right people. And it's not through my own power or my own knowledge, because what I know about living almost killed me. Um, it's all the, the love that I've gotten here at this church, the love that I've gotten that now I can, like Pete said last week, recycle it. I can give it back to others. I can also love myself, not too much, but because uh, um, I can go there too. But um, I can love other people. And I can go to this place called Rivington House, which in the beginning I couldn't even get myself to go into the doors because it's so scary to see people. And, uh, you know, when I go there, I don't go there with a Bible and I go there thumping on them. I just go there and smile. If they have a story to tell me, I listen.